How's everybody doing? That was lame, man. That's all right. That's cool. No, that's cool. Um, how's everyone doing who's doing the fast? How's that, how's that going for you? Right? <laughs> it's hard to be super emphatic about that, but uh, I, was, I was at a Starbucks the other day. There's a young lady that I bump into a lot there um, who comes to church, and I noticed she was also drinking a tea. We're the only two people like drinking tea, and I was like, you gave up coffee too, didn't you? And she's like, yeah. You know, and we were like talking about how like you actually like feel better and you're spending less money and you know, you're not drinking all that cream. So you'll even like drop a couple of pounds, but it's like this abusive relationship. Cause right after the fast, I just run right back to coffee and get like a Trenta iced coffee and you know, just like <laughs> bathe in it. And you know, I just go right back to this abusive relationship with coffee that I've had for years. So uh, anyways, we are, on a side note, all joking aside, I hope the fast has blessed you guys if you've been doing it. it is a, it's a tremendous blessing if you do it and put the energy into it and the effort into it. I think really uh, God does honor that in a huge way. So I hope it's, hope it's a blessing to you. Um, we are in the book of Revelation. We've been in this for quite some time. And if you're new here, for the last couple of weeks and um, a little bit this week, but we're starting to come out of it, we've been in a, in a, in a pretty dark period of Revelation starting in the end of chapter 14, run into to about the end of this chapter that we're doing today. It's, it's pretty dark. There's a couple of parts in chapter 19 that are still a little dark, but um, it kind of, we're, we're coming out of that. And then the last three chapters of Revelation are just brilliant and beautiful and um, a lot of fun to teach and to talk about, okay? But where we're at now, chapters 12 through 18 tell the story of the Great Tribulation from an earthly perspective. Chapters 6 through 11 tell it from kind of a heavenly perspective. And in chapters 12 through 18, John, the author, is seeing this kind of epic play kind of unfold in front of him. And there's characters. There's a, a woman that more than likely represents the church. There's a son that represents Jesus. That's the protagonist. We have this dragon that represents Satan. That's the antagonist, the bad guy. And chapter 13 we kind of see that the dragon incorporates this beast from the sea and this beast from the earth, a corrupt political leader, a corrupt religious leader, and it forms this unholy trinity. We get the mark of the beast in chapter 13, a very, very famous chapter of Revelation. In chapter 14, we talked about two harvests and that we wanna be a part of that first harvest where the people of God are, are swept out of here, whether that be through a post-tribulation rapture or whether that be through martyrdom, however it is, God removes his people from earth and what's left is the second harvest, which gets very violent, gives this imagery of these people being pressed in a wine press and blood flowing out. And Chapters 15 and 16 tell us kind of how that's gonna happen. We see the bowls of God's wrath and this humble teacher's opinion, I don't think any Christians are around at this point, because we'll never experience God's wrath, but God's wrath is poured out on humanity and poured out onto the earth and with a lot of ferocity and it's very rapid and very, very strong. And we see that in chapters 15 and 16. Chapter 17, this angel kind of pulls John, the author aside, and kind of gives him like a flashback. Let me show you why these things are happening. And in chapter 17, we see these images of this prostitute, it says a notorious prostitute, riding on the back of a blood red beast. And so we talked about this notorious prostitute a lot last week. And the notorious prostitute stands for a city, a culture called Babylon the Great. Now in chapter 18, chapter 18 is kind of bittersweet. 
It's bitter in the fact that we're gonna see this, this civilization fall, that we're gonna see a lot of people come to ruin and desolation and there's a lot of weeping and mourning and chapter 18 is basically a huge funeral song about this fall of civilization. That's kind of the bitter part, but the sweet side of it is we see the other perspective, the heavenly perspective, that evil has fallen, right? God is triumphant and we should rejoice in that. But it's a very odd chapter, very bittersweet chapter. It's also a very straightforward chapter. So today it's a longer chapter, but we'll go through it actually a little bit quicker than some of the other shorter chapters that we've done because the symbolism is not very hard to crack. It's pretty straightforward, um, pretty in your face. It, it really, you'll be shocked today at how relevant this chapter is to our culture, our society, and the things it brings up, and it may even kind of strike a nerve in some of us. And be like, oh man, I've kind of fallen to that. Or, you know, so we'll talk about some very relevant things today, Okay. So you should have a notes handout in front of you. Has everything I'm gonna say in that notes handout. If you have a smartphone and you have the Experience Community app, click on Service Times and Sermon Notes. It has the scripture, has all the, uh, the notes in there as well. Everything will be on the screens. If you have a Bible, if you go to the very back of your Bible, chapter 18, that's where we're at today in Revelation. And um, I think you'll enjoy this chapter and I hope that you'll find some encouragement at the end of it. But um, we're getting into, we, the, the light is at the end of the tunnel. We're we're starting to see how it's about to get better, right? Remember, it gets worse, 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 then it gets better. We're getting there, okay? So let me pray, and um, we'll see where God takes us today, all right? Lord Jesus, God, we love you, and we thank you, Lord. God, we pray uh, for everyone in this room. Pray that you open up our ears today, open up our eyes. Lord, let us hear you. Let us see you and recognize you, God. Lord, let us not just hear what you have to say. Lord, let us do what you have to say. Let us apply these things to our daily lives, God. We pray not just for this church, Lord. We pray for every church in our city, in our county. Pray that you bless them, God. Bless their leadership. And, and Lord, let those churches grow. God, we pray for all the great nonprofits that we work with, God. Pray for Renewed Life Ministries and all that Derek and his team do for uh, men who are struggling with addiction. Lord, bless them, God. And uh, we just pray that everything we do today, God, honors you and that it lifts up your church and encourages us, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's rock and roll. Chapter 18. I'm going to read a little bit, and I'll do my best to break it down. <laughs> After this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out in a mighty voice, it has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a home of demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, and a haunt for every unclean bird and a haunt for every clean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. We're gonna hear that word excess a lot today. So chapter 18 is basically continuing the conversation about this notorious prostitute from chapter 17. Now chapter 18 is gonna record three different angels talking about the fall of this city, this culture. Now like I said before, there are two viewpoints of Babylon's fall in this chapter. One is people are happy about this. The people of God see the fall of this evil culture and they're celebrating it. The other perspective is the lamenting people who have fallen in love with the culture. They have fallen in love with this evil society. And they are lamenting this. They are mourning over this. So chapter 18 has what we call a dirge. 
A dirge is just a simply a funeral song. Now, if you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of these dirges in the Old Testament. If you get into the minor prophets and stuff like that, there'll be these songs written about societies and civilizations that fall, and they're mourning that. Now, this is kind of the ultimate dirge, because this is the fall of the ultimate civilization. The ultimate empire is falling, so we have this dirge that is sung by this angel. The angel that sings the dirge, we've seen a lot of angels. If you've been with me for Revelation, we've, we've had a lot of angels. Again, there's three different ones just in this chapter. But this angel comes down, John says, and this angel has great authority, and it must have been a very unique angel because it says the entire earth was lit up by its splendor, and it was illuminated by its splendor, and it speaks out in a mighty voice. One of the things that this angel says is he says that the civilization, this empire, this city, this culture has become a home for demons. Verse two says that the city has become a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird and every despicable beast. Now, before you guys get all superstitious about this, again, this is just my humble opinion. I don't believe in haunted houses. I don't believe in haunted buildings. If there is such thing as hauntings, and the Bible talks about it right here, it's demonic, it's evil. Now, here's the thing about the devil. He doesn't care about buildings going to hell. Devil's like, man, I really want that steel beam to go to hell for eternity. He doesn't care. He cares about destroying people. So if anything is haunted, it's people. We're the ones who are possessed. We are the ones who are oppressed by demonic influence. So I don't think this is referring to haunted cities and haunted houses. This is referring to all the people had to flee this city and the only thing left are beasts and, and, and birds that are detestable and this kind of evil remnant that is left in this, in this city that they put so much stock into. Now, why must this city fall? This city, this culture has indulged in things that God blatantly opposes. And that if we continue to do these things that God blatantly opposes, it brings God's wrath. One of the things that this culture was doing is it was capitalizing on people's vices, its sensuality and excess, and because of that, they got wealthy. Now, here's the thing about sin, guys. God doesn't create rules just because he loves to boss us around. That's not why God does that. God doesn't put parameters on things and say, don't do these things because he's some ruthless dictator. God knows the effects of sin and therefore knowing what sin does to us, he says, don't engage in that because it's not good for you. Let's take sex, for instance. I don't know if you know this or not. God is not against sex. He created sex. God wants you to have good sex within the parameters of marriage. That's what he wants. So God is not against you feeling pleasure or anything like that, but God says, do it within this framework because if you get outside of this framework, it brings pain. It brings suffering. It brings unwanted consequences. So it's not that God is against us or against us having good things, sex being one of them. But outside of this framework, God knows what it does to the degradation of culture and society. So he says, don't do that. He does that for our benefit because he loves us. So people are held responsible. Look at who is held responsible first, the leaders, the kings of the earth. Now, who is this? It could literally be some kings, but it's more than likely referring to corrupt politicians, corrupt religious leaders who have served themselves and not the people and therefore damaged society. Sounds familiar? The second group are the corrupt business owners of the earth. 
The people who have cared more about materialism, they've cared more about success and themselves and they have hurt people in the process. They've fed off of the weaknesses and the vices and the sensualities and the excesses of people. They have made their money off other people's weaknesses. These people will pay first. In other words, they're gonna reap what they sowed and they're gonna reap destruction, okay? He says, then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Pay her back the way she also paid and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed, mix a double portion for her. As much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, there's that word again, give her that much more torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow. I will never see grief. For this reason, her plagues will come in just one day, death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. Now, I don't believe that there are any Christians in the world at this point. That's just my personal belief. If you do, that's, that's fine. So when it says come out of her, what can that possibly mean? That's for us. That's for the reader. John says, come out of this culture so you don't experience her sins and therefore experience the plagues for doing those sins. This is a warning to us. It's a warning to us to remove ourselves from a culture that is anti-Christ, anti-Jesus. Now, every generation has had a culture that has been anti-Jesus. Now, listen, we need to be careful with this. This doesn't mean we isolate ourselves. You may disagree with me on this, I believe you should have friends. I believe you should have people around you that don't think the way you think. I think you should have friends in your life that aren't Christians. I think you should have friends in your life that worship other gods or are atheists because if you are not in their lives, they will never hear the truth. So the answer is not to isolate ourselves. The answer is to insulate ourselves so much by the Holy Spirit that we can go out, as Jesus said, like sheep among wolves and be okay. Do you, do you know the only way a sheep can go out and among wolves and still be okay? They have to have the shepherd really close. You have to be really close with the shepherd. You have to be really close with the Holy Spirit. You have to be covered with it, filled with it. Listen, if you're in this room and you have kids in a private school or you homeschool them, I do not mean this in any slam on you whatsoever. One time I was at a lunch with all pastors, which I'll just let you know, it's one of my least favorite groups to hang out with. And I, was, I shouldn't have said that, but I, it, there it was. We're just honest, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting at this table with all these pastors and their wives and my wife, you know, we're sitting there with them because we were invited to this thing. And one of them leans over in front of everyone and goes, hey, uh, yeah, Pastor Tremble. And I was like, oh, that's me because you know, no one ever calls me that. But um, <laughs> where do your kids go to private school? I said two things. I said, one, we can't afford it and B, they just go to public school. They, they love their schools. And they're, you should have said, they were aghast, right? That we would send our kids to a public school. And I'm like, they, they don't have horns or a tail like they're normal. And the thing is, is I don't trust the schools to raise my kids. I, I raise my kids, you know? So like I teach them theology and I want them to go have. And that's nothing against anyone who, who doesn't do it that way. But I want my girls to be a catalyst to a different society. I want them to be that. And so I don't isolate my children, I insulate them. I pray over them 
every single night to be the light, to be the light. And my youngest, Vi, her best friend this year is a little Muslim girl. It's her best friend. And she loves this girl. And, and this girl has been to parties and we hang out. And if anyone's ever going to see the light, I want it to be through my children. I want it to be through me. Now, listen, I understand the other side of that. This world is screwed up. I get it. And so it's like threading a needle. But here's what we have to somehow thread the needle. Here's how we have to do it. We have to be able to be so insulated by the Holy Spirit that we can have friends and people in our lives that are different than us, but we do not compromise our beliefs. Because if we compromise our beliefs, if we compromise our beliefs out of fear of you know, not being accepted or, or fear of offending someone, if we deny Jesus here, it says that he will deny us up in heaven. We will suffer the same plagues as the ones who don't believe. This is why we must read the word of God. You must know what your beliefs are. You must pray for God to give you wisdom and conversation and discernment on who to hang out with, who not to hang out with, where to go and where not to go, what to partake in and what not to partake in. We trust the word. We trust his gift of wisdom and discernment, but we go out like sheep among wolves. So this angel says, we need to pay this culture back the way that she paid. The payback that this angel is referring to is chapter 16. It's the bowls of God's wrath. And what we see here is we see the furthest extreme of the doctrine of reaping and sowing. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, we do not believe in karma. Karma is similar to reaping and sowing, but there's a huge, important difference. In karma, they say you have good and you have bad, and we must do more good so we tip the scales in our favor and it outweighs our bad. That's not the way God works, thank God, because some of us have done so much evil that we could never do enough good to tip the scales in our favor. Now, the Bible says you reap what you sow. So if you reap evil things, you're going to get evil things. If you plant evil seeds, you're going to grow evil crop, right? That's what it's saying. But by God's grace, if we will humble ourselves and ask for God's forgiveness for the evil that we've done, he wipes those things out and it throws the scales completely out of whack in our favor. That is by the grace of God. So we don't believe in karma, but we do believe that we reap what we sow. But God's grace is mixed into that. So here's why this city, this Babylon the Great, it falls because it's arrogant. This is the linchpin to everything, and we'll get to this later. This arrogant society says, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow. I'll never be alone. Everyone will always want me, and I will never mourn. The arrogance to say that we'll never be alone, we're always in control, and we're the greatest that's ever been. Whenever a culture, a society speaks like this, just wait. It is absolutely destined to come to desolation, to destruction. Why? Because Proverbs says that pride always leads to a fall. If you're around someone that's prideful, just, just you need to take a step back because they're going to fall. In fact, the Bible even says that God draws near to the humble. He recoils from the prideful. He recoils from arrogant people. He pushes away. So for someone to say, I follow Jesus, but they're arrogant, you can't. Jesus won't have anything to do with arrogance. Nothing. Now this fall is not only inevitable, it's rapid. And it comes with much ferocity. John records at Babylon's fall, he says, it's going to happen in one day. Now, whether that's literal or figurative, it's going to happen in a short period of time. And when we talked about the bowls of God's wrath, they are so ferocious that they can't be drawn out over a long period of time. Not only is it going to happen quickly, notice that we're not the ones that make it right 
God makes it right. God will punish evil for its rebellion and its sin, not us. That's not our job, okay? Longer part here, bear with me. The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways, again, will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo of gold and silver, jewels and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood products, ivory, expensive wood, brass, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, and myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and even slaves, human lives. The fruit you craved has left you. Your splendid and glamorous things are gone, and they will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. For in a single hour, such fabulous wealth was destroyed. Every shipmaster, seafarer, and sailor, all who do business by sea, stood off from afar as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and they kept crying and weeping, woe, woe, the great city where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth for in a single hour she was destroyed. Rejoice over her, heaven, and you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment that she has passed on you. What happens in this section? There are three different groups of people who are mourning over materialism. The first one is the top echelon, kings. We already talked about this. Politicians, religious leaders, the top of the food chain, right? The second tier are merchants. These are rich business owners. These are entrepreneurs. These are greedy people who have made a lot of money in the marketplace on the backs of other people. The last level is the working class, what probably most of us in this room are in. These are people who delivered the products, but what they have done, this is important, is though they weren't as wealthy as the other two tiers, they had made their occupation their identity. Their industry became their God. That's what served them. So it says all the people of earth will witness the fall of this city. I remember in uh, September 11th, 2001, I remember I was watching CNN after the first plane hit the Twin Tower and I saw the second one hit. I remember watching that live. This is before the days of cell phones. So when the city falls apart, it's gonna be very easy for everyone to watch the fall of the civilization live. They're gonna be able to see the coming of this. And when they see it on their smartphones or on their computers or on a television, they're gonna see that the city is coming down and they're gonna realize that their life is about to fall apart as well. What they are realizing is that the things of this world are going to burn. The houses that they lived for, the cars that they lived for, the sex that they lived for, the entertainment that they lived for, all the things that they thought were important, they're going to see it crumble in front of them. Now, we often misquote the Bible when it comes to money. You know, there's nothing inherently evil about money. 
Money is something that you get when you work. You get this thing and you exchange it for goods and services. That's money, right? That's all money is. There's nothing evil about money. There's nothing even evil about having a lot of money. The evil comes in when we fall in love with the money. As it says here in 1 Timothy, by craving it, it causes some people to wander away from Jesus Christ. We become more infatuated and more in love. Jesus even says, no one can serve God and money at the same time. You can't do it. It's impossible to serve two masters. And so it's the love of money, the love of material things that is absolutely evil. And it's not worth living for. The kings of the earth are gonna mourn because their power is gone. Their control is gone. The merchants are gonna mourn because their elaborate lifestyles are gone. They're profiting off other people is done. The mariners, the working class, they're gonna mourn because their industry, their identity has fallen apart. The thing that they have made an idol. And all this different list of materials and goods, these are all the things that people have given their life to achieve these material possessions, but they're gone now. Now again, there is nothing wrong with having nice things. If you have a nice car, that's, that's fine. If you live in a nice home, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with having nice things, but it's when those things become our life. You ever seen people wear shirts that say ridiculous things like, you know, basketball is life. Really, that's life? If, if basketball was gone, there'd be no reason to live. Like that is life? Music is life, dancing is life, whatever it is, like the, really that's your life. That's the whole of what you find valuable. That's ridiculous. And we find these things, we work so hard, so one day we can, you know, when we're 65, we can just do nothing, right? And we work so hard to achieve these things. We sell out family, we sell out marriages, we sell out friends, we sell out our own integrity, we sell out our own honor for things that have absolutely no eternal value. Nothing. Again, nothing wrong with having nice things, but if that's what you live for, if that's what you would die for, our culture has even gotten so bad that we will sell out people. Slavery, there's more slaves right now on planet Earth than there's ever been. And I know you guys will, God, I've never, I've never done that. When you watch pornography, you're basically feeding into slavery. You're feeding into a culture that has taken young women who have most likely been abused at some point in their life and they're getting paid to do atrocious acts by men that care nothing about them. And so we are contributing to a culture that has enslaved people in one way or another so we can have this temporary pleasure, so we can have this temporary feeling. And look what this angel says. The fruit you craved has deceived you. The thing that you have given everything for, that you have lived and are willing to die for, it fooled you, it tricked you, it has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone and you're never gonna find them again. You're never gonna find them again. Now, verse 20, there was a major shift. We've been hearing all this mourning and lamenting over all these things. And then verse 20 turns this like hard, hard turn. And so as the world mourns for the loss of their idols, the followers of God rejoice because once and for all, this evil culture is dead. Now, let me ask you something. You gotta be honest. Some of us who call ourselves Christians, if all of culture was destroyed right now, there'd be things that we would miss. There'd be things that we would mourn. There would be that entertainer or that television show or these comforts or these securities 
And so I asked this question as Christians, like, have we made a separation from those things? Now, listen, I'm not trying to like tell you to like, again, I'm against the Christian bubble. I'm not into the Christian bubble. I listen to a lot of music that's not Christian. And, but again, there has to be a line that's drawn. And as Christians, even Jesus Christ himself said, what we take in through the eyes and through the ears can contaminate our entire soul. So there's some things we just should not partake in. But do we, do, do we long for things that are not in alignment with God's kingdom? And if we long for things that do not align for his kingdom, with his kingdom, we need, to, we, we need to do an evaluation and we need, to, we need to cut those things off. That's why we do things like this fast, right? To put some distance between us and the culture of the world. That's why we do this. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and he threw it into the sea saying, in this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flautists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and a bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth. Because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all those who are slaughtered on the earth. So listen, there's going to be, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So this angel is going to teach an object lesson. Any of you who are teachers in here, you know what an object lesson is. Use something that you can see, touch, smell, whatever, to prove a point. This angel picks up a millstone. We don't really see these in our culture much. A, a big kind of uh, like a stone that's been made into a wheel and they would, they would roll it around this big piece of slab and it would grind up grain, right? A mill wheel. So this thing would have been a couple hundred pounds. This angel picks up this large, heavy stone, throws it into a sea and he's making a point. He's basically saying, John, you see how this rock sinks? This evil culture is also going to sink into oblivion. It says that God is going to throw this evil culture down violently. Now, some people read words and they associate God and violence. And how can that possibly be? God is love, right? God's just all about hugs and turning the blind eye to sin. And that's what God is. And that's not what God is. Perfect love must also be married to perfect justice. And if you're a father over a lot of people, it is not love if you do not defend your children from harmful evil. So he takes care of the threat because perfect love is always married to perfect justice. Now here's where I was jumping to earlier. Not only are we going to see greed and materialism and power crumble, we're gonna see culture and entertainment crumble as well. Entertainment, I'm talking about this culture, you and me, our culture. Entertainment has become a God to so many people. We get more theology from popular singers and bands and TV shows than we get theology from the actual word of God. There are people that like, they hear like, you know, Beyonce said this, so it must be true. It's talking about God. Do you guys know that there are churches in San Francisco, cathedrals built to Beyonce? Did you guys know that? Look it up on Google. People gather, hundreds of people, and they sing Destiny's Child songs and lift their hands and worship Beyonce. I mean, at least find someone with talent. But anyway, so we've let media... <laughs> and we've let TV, and we've let music 
shape our theology. We're a culture that we get more excited about sporting events than we do about the eternal creator. There goes Corey about sports again. Oh, we're gonna go there for a second. Listen, whenever people spend thousands of dollars on season tickets when they haven't given a dime to the kingdom of God for it to advance, there's something wrong there. When you send me an email and say, Corey, your church is so irreverent. How dare you guys lift your hands and yell and whistle in church? Wait a second. You'll take your shirt off in sub-zero temperatures and yell and scream at some ball that goes back and forth on a field like a maniac. And, and you're gonna point fingers at me? Listen. If I'm gonna lose my mind about something, I'm not gonna lose it about a, a, a finite character on a field. I'm gonna lose it about an infinite God that spoke it all into existence. But we have let culture become a God. We've let entertainment become a God. And so for this reason, this angel says, no longer will a light shine in you. Listen, not only have we made entertainment into a God, look at what it says here. This phrase, no longer will the groom and bride be heard in you again, that we've even taken our marriages and made them gods. We've made our children gods. Now listen, God loves your family. God loves your marriage. In fact, marriage on earth, this is our earthly kind of analogy for our relationship with God. God loves marriage. He created marriage. God loves the family. He wants to protect the family. But we cannot be the husbands and wives we need to be. We cannot be the fathers and mothers we need to be unless God comes first. We cannot be what we're supposed to be. And so some of us, and, 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 and it's not even because our intentions are bad, but we've made our spouse our God. We've made our children our gods, our idols. Now here's what's fascinating about this chapter, guys. I hope you find this interesting. All the things mentioned in this chapter are not inherently evil. There's nothing evil about successful business. There's nothing evil about Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos making all this billions of dollars with success. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. There's nothing inherently evil about politics. There's nothing inherently evil about family or marriage or the arts. All of these things, all of these things mentioned in this chapter, if left in the right hands, all of these things can glorify God. Business can glorify God. Politics can glorify God. The family, marriage, the arts can glorify God. Entertainment can glorify God. All these things. But here's what happened. The people who had these talents and abilities and these resources were deceived by culture's sorcery. They didn't do it for the glory of God. They did it for the glory of self. That's where they went wrong. They did evil things with what God entrusted them with. And because of that, they'll pay the ultimate price for it. What does that mean? If we choose to serve ourselves first, even the greatest, most powerful, most charismatic people on planet earth will all inevitably fall. If we put ourselves first, we will fall. When things like this fall, we often ask, how in the world can this happen? How can this happen? One of my favorite books ever written, and you're gonna, if you buy it and read it, you're gonna think I'm pretty lame. It's a book called How the Mighty Fall. It's a book by Jim Collins. It's, it's about 140 pages, and it's a study on why corporations that were once at the pinnacle of their field are now non-existent. It's a study, it's a research study. I love the book, I've read it three times. Now, this book talks about corporations. Some of you may remember these companies, some of you may not because they're gone. Companies like Zenith, 
and service merchandise and Ames, which was a, a grocery store that once upon a time was more profitable than Walmart. And once upon a time, these corporations that were, that were at the pinnacle, now they don't even exist anymore. You know, once upon a time, everyone had a, a zenith television that they probably bought at service merchandise, right? And now neither one of these companies even exist. Why? So Jim Collins, over several decades, studied these different corporations, and he came up with five reasons why these companies don't exist anymore based on empirical evidence, not just a, you know, something he made up, the evidence. Do you know what he said the number one reason was? There was an arrogant leader. Hubris. Arrogance. So the first step to a fall was arrogance. I don't know if you know that. That's how the devil fell out of heaven. It's how corporations fall. It's how marriages fall apart. It's how friendships fall apart. It's how everything starts is hubris, arrogance. The first step is arrogance. The second step is arrogance leads to an undisciplined pursuit of wanting more. I've been successful in the past and I just want more and more and more. And then we start to buy into this lie that we're never gonna fall. I can flirt with this woman at work. My wife's been with me for 25 years. She's not gonna leave. I can frivolously spend this money. I've got all this money coming in. I'm never gonna go bankrupt or fall. We're the greatest nation that's ever existed. We're one nation under God. We'll never fall. And we start to have this hubris and this arrogance, and we start to pursue and want. We have this insatiable appetite for more and more and more and more, and then we buy into this lie that we will never fall. This chapter shows us that arrogance will most definitely lead to a fall. If we're going to avoid that fall, the exact opposite is the linchpin. The, the exact opposite is the key. If we're going to stand and not fall, we must have true humility. This isn't self-deprecation. Whenever you just put yourself down in the name of humility, you're actually being arrogant because you're drawing all the attention to you. That's not true humility. True humility is having an accurate depiction of yourself, who you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And so true humility means that we're courageous, but we're also vulnerable, we're teachable. It means that we're strong to the best of our abilities, but there are also things that we're weak in. True humility means that we plan, we prepare, we work hard, but ultimately we know that everything we have is because God gave it to us. Your beautiful wife is only by the grace of God, right? Your wonderful husband is by the grace of God. Your beautiful children are by the grace of God. The money that you have in your pocket right now is just because God has given that to you. Everything that we have is because God is benevolent and God is gracious, and he gives us those things. Yes, we work hard, we plan, we prepare. It's not unspiritual to plan and prepare. The Bible says, count the cost to make sure that you have enough to build the building. That's what the Bible says. Be wise, use your brain. But everything we have, we plant, we sow, we do the work, but God is the one that gives the increase. Everything is his. If we're truly going to avoid the fall, not only must we have true humility, we must tether ourselves to a kingdom that will never fall. We must tie ourselves not only to Jesus, but his word. We must tie ourselves to the teachings and the principles of this book. We must tether ourselves to his kingdom. How do we do that? We tether ourselves to the kingdom of God by seeking him first. 
by putting him first in everything we do, by putting his desires above our desires. And if we will put his desires above our desires, if we will tether ourselves to his kingdom, not only will we not fall, we'll have everything we need. We'll have everything we need now. We'll have everything we need in the future. We'll have it for eternity if we are just putting him first. Jesus Christ said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Everything else will be taken care of, but you gotta trust me. You gotta trust me. Let me tell you a story. I got Bart written on my hand. It's not a Simpsons reference. It's, it's another Bart, but I didn't wanna forget about Bart. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 10. You should go back and read this chapter tonight. It's, it's, it's really profound. Jesus is walking with his disciples one day. This is actually the chapter where Jesus tells his disciples, I'm gonna send you out like sheep among wolves. All right? Awesome, Jesus. So they're walking around with Jesus one day, and Jesus is telling them, you're going to be persecuted. You're probably going to get killed. I'm going to get killed. We're all going to get killed, you know? We're going to go out, and we're going to go out right, right into the belly of the beast. And he's pumping them up, and he's telling them about it. It's going to be hard. There's going to be persecution, all these things. And as Jesus is talking, he senses, he knows, because he's God, right? Jesus knows that they are afraid. Listen, God knows that it's sometimes hard to put him first. He knew it. It is hard for them right now to follow me. So Jesus turns around to his disciples and he says, hey, aren't sparrows two for a penny in the marketplace? And the disciples were like, uh, yes, I guess. What? And Jesus says, aren't they two for a penny in the marketplace? And they say, well, yeah, that's about how much they are. And Jesus says, listen, guys, every time one of those, those birds that's worth half a cent, every single time one of those dirty little sparrows dies and hits the ground, my Father in heaven knows it. <laughs> and then he looks at his 12 and he says, don't you guys know you're worth a lot more than sparrows? You know what he was saying? Trust me. I made you in my image. I'm not going to let you fall. Trust me. Put me first. Trust me. Now listen, here's why I wrote Bart on my hand. One of those 12 was a guy named Bartholomew. One of the kind of lesser known disciples, if you will. Bartholomew was hacked to death. He was attacked by a mob that had machetes and knives and they cut him to pieces. That's how he died. <laughs> Needless to say, right? That, that sucks. That's a, it's a bad way to go. Here's a spoiler alert. Later on in the book of Revelation, it tells us about heaven. <laughs> and there are 12 foundations of heaven that have the names of the disciples written on them. Bartholomew heard his leaders say, just trust me, Bart, just trust me. Tether yourself to a kingdom that will never fall. The kingdom that you and I will live in for eternity will have the name Bartholomew written on one of the foundations this man who was hacked to death, who faced one of the most gruesome ways that a man can be killed. And forever and ever and ever, his name is written on the foundation of the one empire that will never fall. God is saying to some of you today, hey, look, it's gonna be scary. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be dangerous. Trust me. You're worth a lot more than sparrows. Trust me, it's gonna be okay. Trust me, you're not gonna fall.
Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to hear it one more time. God knows that it's not always easy to trust him. He absolutely knows. God knows. God knows that it's easy to put our jobs before him. God knows that it's easy to put our family before him. God knows that it's easy to get wrapped up in entertainment and culture. God knows. He knows. God lived on this earth for 33 years, just like you and I. He suffered. He was persecuted. He was treated unfairly. He knows. But I feel like some of you in this room need to hear, clear as a bell, straight from my mouth, straight from God himself. God is calling on some of you to just trust him. Come hell or high water, come pain, come struggle, come whatever it is. If you will just tether yourself to his kingdom, if you will seek first the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God, everything else is gonna be added. Everything's gonna be taken care of. If not in this life, in the next, and for eternity. If you're in this room and you have any questions, Dave is up here to my right, your left, button-up shirt on. If you're new, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're interested, but you don't know what to do, come up here and talk to Dave. He'll help you with any questions you may have, okay? There'll also be men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, please, if as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you are struggling with anything, please, 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 please let one of these men or women pray for you. You need people to join with you, to pray together with you. Let them do that. Why not? There's also communion all the way around you. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, there's the bread and wine that represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is the God. You're not only made in his image. God sent his only son to die for you because he finds you exceptionally valuable. Exceptionally valuable valuable, and he does not want you to fall. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Here's the key, though. You have to be humble. You have to humble yourself and ask God to forgive you. You have to humble yourself and say, God, I just cannot do this alone. And if you will humble yourself, you can take the communion. You can have a relationship with Christ, and he can help you. Father, we love you. God, for every man and woman in this room, Lord, I just pray blessings, Lord. I'm not talking about material blessings or anything shallow. I'm talking about, God, just your favor, a relationship with you, help and guidance and comfort and security, Lord. Please let us be tethered to what will never fall. God, we love you. We thank you. Humble us, strengthen us, encourage us. We need you, Lord. We thank you, God. I pray, Lord, that you touch everyone in this room. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you guys.